For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. Mark chapter 6, verse 50. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Um, Try and recall a time when you were really exhausted. I mean, completely shattered and spent and spent again and physically like you couldn't do anything else. I am actually, I was going to tell an anecdote about a day when I spent all day scraping off this like tile stuff with a carbide thing and I couldn't like walk after. But actually, the the memory is now much more recent after this exhausting weekend of moving. Um, If I just fall over, Lincoln will take over the service. (laughs) But think about that feeling of exhaustion, like complete, like you can barely lift your arms. That's how the disciples felt. At around you know, th- third wa- fourth watch of the night, um, around 4 or 5 a.m., like right when the very first crack of dawn, the sky is just started starting to brighten up. Um, that's how the disciples felt. And th- it says that they left um, just as evening had begun, which means they've been rowing for about eight hours. Now, I never rowed more than a few minutes in my life, but I can imagine a little bit. A- and the Sea of Galilee is not that big. Um, kind of, if we look at the directions of where they were going, maybe they were going eight miles. So they've been rowing eight hours against the wind, like not even making one mile an hour. I just can't imagine that level of exhaustion. It says in verse 48 that they were making headway painfully. You could translate that word tortured, torturedly, right? Have any of you ever done a long row? Does any of you have a muscle memory for what that must be like to row all day? A few few nods, just curious. Um, what's curious is that Jesus himself sent them on this uh, exhausting journey. Verse 45 says he made his disciples go across the lake before him. And um, these disciples had lived and worked around the Sea of Galilee uh, all their lives. They probably could have seen that this is going to be a rough night of rowing ahead. Right? They could have seen the signs and the weather and the wind. But they had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They just witnessed Jesus miraculously provide all this food. So when he says, okay, now just row across the lake, guys. I, could, I mean, there's not much room to argue or challenge that, right? Like, well, okay, and they're still in this shock and this wonder of what they've just witnessed. But a long row in theory and eight hours of actually rowing, I'm sure, of two very different things. I don't think that they were in danger of dying. I actually didn't realize till this Sunday that I kind of blurred this story together with when Jesus calms the wind and the waves by speaking to them. They're actually two different stories, <laughs> separated by only a few chapters in the Gospel of Mark, but because of the similarities. So it doesn't, see, it doesn't seem like they're in danger of like capsizing. They're just completely exhausted. And they're still in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And around 4 or 5 a.m., it says that Jesus saw them still out on the lake. And so there had to have been a little bit of light for him to be able to see from the mountain that he was praying on. He, he saw them struggling against the wind in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Um, he, of course, knew that they would be struggling because he knows all things from the beginning. But he goes out to them by walking on the water. I love these things in the Gospels where St. Mark is just like, no big deal, he just walked on the sea. <laughs> walking on the sea, it says. And the Gospel adds this very curious detail. Um, it says he meant to pass by them. Did you catch that? Have you caught that phrase before? He meant to pass by them. What does that mean? Uh, it's possible it means that it looked like, to, from how the disciples saw this person coming, that it looked like they weren't, gonna, they weren't on a trajectory to meet them. could have been how it looked to the, 
disciples. It could also mean that Jesus really did intend to just walk nearby, right? And who knows in what other possible reactions the disciples could have had. Maybe just sort of a nearby presence could have been reassuring. We don't know the motive that the Lord had, but we know it was a good motive. It wasn't a motive like, well, I'm going to kind of tease them or something, as it might sound. That he was drawing near, but just not towards, not actually um, right towards their boat. In either case, the disciples, remember, it's still just a little bit of light. They see a dude walking on the water towards them. They don't know that it's Jesus. How could they? Jesus didn't say, I'm going to meet you halfway, right, across the water. They think it's a ghost. Some sort of demonic apparition of a, maybe of a soul, of a dead soul that then, you know, was approaching them. And they were terrified, rightly, as you would be if you saw what you thought was a ghost in the middle of a very windy night on the Sea of Galilee. But then just like in Jesus' resurrection appearances, when Jesus isn't recognized at first, but then he is, the turning point is when he speaks. His voice comes to them, and then they now know what they're looking at. It's not just any old ghost or some strange thing, some phantom. Um, It's Jesus. His voice comes. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. (laughs) It's I, Jesus. They would have recognized his voice. And take heart which I think connects to the rowing and the getting across the lake. Right? Take heart. Be, be fortified. Keep, keep persevering in the slog that you're in the middle of. Don't give up. I'm now with you. The encouragement begins with this sort of approaching presence, not recognized, and then this comforting voice, and then it says he got into the boat with them. He doesn't just stop with its speech. He gets into the boat. He's with them face to face. And then it doesn't say that he commands the wind and the waves. So by just a silent command, the waves and the wind that was causing the waves stop. And the gospel says the disciples rightly were astounded. They couldn't compute what their own eyes were seeing. Have you ever had that where you're watching something, you know your sense data is telling you this is happening, but how on earth is this working? And often, you know, when that happens to us, it's some sort of like, illusory effect or some perspective issue, you know, something like this. In this case, there was no illusion. They just couldn't figure out how did the wind, how did the waves and wind just stop? They couldn't recognize that. Um, did you catch that verse that said they didn't remember the, uh, I forget the exact scripture. Here you go. Let's when it says um, they didn't understand about the loaves, it's a curious phrase. I think the loaves in the Old Testament, um, when God sent manna from heaven, the Greek word used is just loaves. It's the same thing. So I think that Jesus has just brought loaves from heaven, and the disciples didn't connect. Like, who gives loaves from heaven? Right? God. Right? This, the, Jesus, their master, their rabbi, is God. And so, just as God gave bread from heaven in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, just as he sort of did these miracles with water, the parting of the Red Sea and the Jordan. Here's another miracle with water, Jesus walking on the surface of water. Again, communicating that this is the same God who made this water in the beginning, whose spirit hovered over the water in the beginning. I think that's what's getting it. They didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't get that this is God in the flesh in their midst. They're not going to understand that, of course, until the end of the gospel story. If they could understand that Jesus was God, of course he could wield nature how he would like, standing on water, making bread. But now by the light that 
God has given us by his Holy Spirit, by his word, we recognize that truth plainly. What was opaque to them in that moment, we see, oh yeah, of course he can walk on water. He's God. But that written evidence is proof. We don't just have a sort of statement, oh yes, Jesus is God, although we could believe that. And we have that in this elsewhere in the scriptures, but we have an action. Who could do that? Who could walk on water? Only God could do that. This story in the Gospels, I think, is very meaningful at two levels, both a corporate level for us as a church uh, and as our individual level. It seems like such a figure, right? Jesus, the disciples in a boat, it's like this visual parable for the church. Right, so joined together, God's, Jesus has sent us on a mission. Go to the other side. Keep the faith. Take the faith out there. And yet there's this painful headway. Right? The church often seems like we're rowing, but we're hardly making any progress. There's the winds of the, the spirit of the age blowing against us. And the waves of like our individual weaknesses and passions sort of crashing ashore and making the rowing difficult. Opponents outside the church, heresies inside the church. Are we going to ever make it? Are we ever going to complete this mission? Are we ever going to make it to the other side as a church? To keep on fighting the good fight. It seems to me almost a picture of, in miniature, of the end times. That the Lord said, it's going to be exceedingly difficult at the very end. And just when you think the cosmos and the church itself won't hold together anymore, then the Lord will come back again. And it says he'll come on the clouds, which are just... Water, right? Water vapor. He walked on the water below. In this incident in the Gospels, he's going to come walking on the waters above the clouds when he comes again. And the moment, the weeks, months, and years before he comes again, will be moments of fear. Just like when Jesus is sort of far off and they don't recognize him at first, and there's this terror. That's how the end times are described. That there'll be this, apprehend- this um, angst in the very uh, last hour of our age. But just like when Jesus gets into the boat and then everything's better, right? Literally, the waves stop and, and, they, and they arrive at the shore where they were going. That's what it will be like when Jesus comes again, like him stepping into the boat. Right now, we're sort of, even though Christ is with us by his Holy Spirit, with us in the sacrament, with us forever, there's a way in which the scripture still says, but we're also still apart from him and we're waiting for him to come back in the flesh, in his resurrected flesh. I think that corresponds in, like in this picture of Jesus getting into the boat. When the church on earth will become, in a moment, the new Jerusalem with Christ at its center. All the woes of the world will cease. All the memory of all the toil will vanish. And all shall be well for those who've been saved by Christ Jesus. So that's the corporate meaning I think we can take from this picture of the disciples in this boat rowing um, painfully. Um, but then personally, what a profound picture I find this to be for our personal woes and struggles right for sicknesses and anxieties and difficulties bodily in our families with work whatever it may be um, it's instructive that the Lord lets them toil for long long hours right the Lord in his wisdom could have seen them struggling and came down to them after hour one but he waits till the fourth watch of the night I don't know why he waits that long but I think there's something illustrative in this incident in the Gospels for us that just because Christ has not come to us yet in the midst of whatever personal struggle we may be having doesn't mean he's not going to come. And I think the way he comes very much maps onto this incident in the Gospel that um, 
often the, the first encouragement the Lord will bring after a long night of struggle and suffering, and that night might be months or years, uh, is His voice, His Word coming to us from the Scriptures, from an encouraging word from a Christian friend. His voice speaking a word of, take heart, you know, to sort of roughly paraphrase, hang in there. But Jesus doesn't just stop there with an encouraging word. He will, at some point, get into the boat with us. And what this corresponds to, only those who've really met Christ in profound and in long-suffering know. The saints testify that there's a mysterious communion to be had with Jesus, as if he was face-to-face with you in the midst of terrible suffering. And that it's as if the waves and the wind are stopped because he's with us. I hope that, I know some of you have suffered in many different ways, and I hope that you've had some experience of this, of Jesus in a mystical way drawing near to your soul, that even though everything is terrible, feeling like, okay, he's, he's with me, this is gonna, I'm gonna get through this because he is strong and because he's with me. If you haven't had that experience, hang on to the voice. The voice that says, persevere. Perseverance brings hope. I, I can never remember that list in First Peter. Sue and I were joking about this the other day. That list in First Peter that says, if we persevere, we'll have character and then hope. And hope does not disappoint. That's the right sequence. I think the Lord helped me on that. Is it? Perhaps I'm thinking of Romans 5. Okay. There is a verse in the scripture which says something like this. Um, but I encourage you that when you feel like you're completely spent rowing through a struggle in this life, to keep waiting for Christ, listening for his voice, uh, and that he is, in a, for a mysterious reason, permitting the struggle, but he will not leave you alone to sort of sink and fail. I'm, I mean, totally fail. Uh, he will come to us. Thanks be to him for his mercy, uh, for his providence and his wisdom in how he comes to us in these ways and that he comes to us in the end. Amen.